0: Thank you for listening to audio from First Baptist Church of Flora. If you would like more information about our church, please visit www.fbcflora.org. Thank you, uh, Matt and Refuge team for uh, leading us, man. That was a perfect, perfect song for us to uh, get ready for this message. And um, as we continue in the book of James, if you're a guest here today or hadn't been here in a while, uh, we've been in... The book of James, I think this is one, two, three, four, our fifth week to be in the book of James, and um, just talking about the importance of living the Christian life, and that's, that's really what James focused on in this sermon series entitled Faith That Works, and so let me, let me just kind of give a, a quick snapshot, just a little review of where we've been uh, uh, over the last four weeks and where we're headed today. Because uh, this all all this stuff just, man, it just it flows together, it works together, uh, because that's the beauty of the Word of God. Um, but so, just kind of think about where we've been. First sermon in this series talked about the uh, the tests and the trials that we all go through. So, I mean, the truth of the matter is, everybody in here is uh has face tests how many of you are in the middle of a test or a trial right now raise your hand if you're in the middle of something right now all right so a bunch of hands up if your hand isn't up your hand will be up next week because i'm telling you it will come the test or the trial the difficulty will come to your life in some way shape or form and james actually said hey consider it all joy my brothers when you encounter trials of various kinds he's kind of like how do i how is that a joyful thing when I'm going through hard times? Well, the reason that we can be joyful is because of what those trials and those difficulties are producing in our lives. They are bringing steadfastness to us. They're giving us perseverance because I, 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 I hate to tell you this, but it's just the truth. The reason you're going through this trial is because God uses what you're going through now to get you ready for the next one that's coming down the road, you know, and so you've got to have that steadfastness. That perseverance and that spiritual maturity, which is what those trials are bringing into our lives. So we got we got to think about those things. We've got to be ready for them and, and the tests and the trials that come to our lives. And then, and then we came out of that and we talked about the importance, uh, the need for wisdom in our lives. And the truth of the matter is that James says, one of my favorite verses, in, really in the Bible, but in the book of James for sure, Uh, because, (laughs) because i need it all the time is where james says if any man lacks wisdom or if anyone lacks wisdom let him ask of god who gives freely to all and it will be given to you in other words if you're a christ follower you can have wisdom period you ask and god gives it and so i'm so thankful for that and we need that Wisdom and so God promises I know, he says hey look I know you're gonna need it You're gonna need it for the trials you're going through you're gonna need it for the hard times you're going through So I'm gonna give it to you and so he he promises to give us wisdom Man, that's such a cool promise from God. I'm so thankful for that promise from God And then we came out of that and we talked about the dangerous progression of Temptation and sin that's what James talked about And and you know we talked about the fact that sin looks good. I mean temptation looks good I mean, it wouldn't be a temptation if it didn't look good. <laughs> I mean, it wouldn't be tempting if it didn't look good. It wouldn't be tempting if it, didn't, if it didn't give the prospect or the possibility that there's going to be some pleasure in it or there's going to be some benefit for me giving in to this temptation. So temptation always looks good. I mean, you go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, man, that fruit looked good to Eve and then to Adam. I mean, it looked good, and Satan knew that. Hey, look, you know. But it always ends in death. That's what he says. It, it, sin, when it is conceived, gives birth to death. I mean, it distracts that direction. But the, but the good news is that God, in that same passage, God promises, hey, yeah, you got this temptation and this sin, but God promises, I'll give you life. <laughs> Instead of death, you can have life. That's what he promises. Every good and perfect gift. He says every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of the heavenly lights. And he'll give you all the good things that you need. Instead of the junk that the world offers, God says, look, I'll give you every good and perfect gift that you need. Oh, man, that's good. And then last week we talked about the fact that James got real clear with us and said, hey, look, be a doer of the word and not a hearer only. Remember last week we talked about the fact that I I issued the invitation at the beginning of the sermon last week. That every Christ follower in here and every Christ follower that's watching this service right now, whenever that is, whether it's today or down the road, years from now, every Christ follower must make this commitment. And here's the commitment. I will do what the Word of God says for me to do. I will do it. I'm not just going to come to church on Sunday. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're here. Thanks for being here. But you're not doing God a favor because you're here. You're here because you're to hear what God wants to say, and right now, like it or not, it's through me. What God wants to say to us, hear it, but then go do it. That's what he says, and 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 that's that's just what the <laughs> what James says. It's just it's is clear, and it's in your face. And you remember I talked about that that, that James is an in your face kind of writer. He didn't pull any punches. There's a lot of times in this. In this uh a uh, 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 book that you kind of go, ooh, James, that's you know that's getting a little close, bro, but that's that's the way it is. And the truth of the matter is, that's what I want. I want people to do that to me, right? Don't you want somebody to just shoot straight with you? I mean, it's sometimes when you, that is when you need. <laughs> When you need to hear it, you know, some folks just shoot straight with you because they just want to hear themselves talk and, you know, whatever. But, but sometimes you need to hear it, and that's, that's the way James does. He said, look, don't just listen to stuff. Do it. You're going to give in to temptation? That's good. Okay, go ahead, but it's going to lead to death. You need wisdom. You need some wisdom. God's going to give it to you. Guess what? You're going to face some tough times, some trials, so get ready for them. It's, it, there's a reason for it. It's so and now today, we come into this uh, sermon for today and ask, is your faith alive? And, and, and it's going to, there's going to be some, if you were here last week, there's going to be some, there's going to be some times that this sermon's going to sound sort of like last week. And we'll talk about that in just a minute. We're going to talk about, is your faith alive? You know, sometimes we hear, uh, uh, you know, you hear a community leader or a politician just waxing eloquent on the, the virtues of a uh, public school system in a community that they live in or something like that. And then, but at the same time, they're talking about how wonderful the public schools are in this community, whatever, wherever they live. They're enrolling their kids in an uh, exclusive private school over here, you know. Or you hear the CEO of McDonald's Uh, talking about that McDonald's is the best family meal anywhere and then you see him in Burger King with his kids you know and and uh, or or you hear a a guy talking about how much he loves his wife and how much how faithfully he is to his wife when he's been carrying on a, a illicit immoral affair for a long time you know and 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 uh, you, you see you see those kinds of things, and in, in each one of those examples, the community leader, the uh, the CEO of McDonald's, the uh, the 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 husband who says he loves his wife, you, you see those things. Each, and there's a big difference there between what is claimed and what is actually being done. There's a big difference there. What each person did. Does not match up with what the person said. The, the actions don't match the words. And the truth of the matter is that the, beh- listen, the behavior, what they're actually doing, really gives you a much clearer picture of what they actually believe than what they said. The dude can over here and say, man, public schools in our town are great, but my kids are going to the private school. McDonald's are the greatest family meal, but my kids are going to eat at Burger King. You know, man, I love my wife, but I got this side thing over here been going on for a long time. Well, that's what you really believe then. You really believe that this is better than what you're saying. And, and, and that's the issue that we're going to take up in this passage. I told you it's tough. I told you it's in your face. But that's the issue we're going to take up in this passage of Scripture that James talks about that we're looking at. And and the the question that we're asking today is this, is your faith for real or is it false? Is your faith genuine or is it counterfeit? Is your faith alive or is it dead? And that's what James is talking about. So grab your Bibles and turn to James chapter 2. I hope you got your Bible with you today. James chapter 2. Verse 14 through 26 is where we're going to focus our attention. I hope you got your Bible. The public reading of Scripture is such an important part of corporate worship. So I hope you got your Bible with you. If not, maybe you can look on with somebody or something like that or pull it up on your phone. James chapter 2, verse 14, verses 14 through 26. So would you stand, please, and let's read this passage together. What good is it, my brothers? Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Now, this verse right here, you believe that God is one? You do well. Even the demons believe that, and they shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith from apart from works is dead. May God bless the reading of his word this morning. Let's pray. Help us now, Lord, as we gather around your word. To hear from you through the power of your spirit who is present with us and in us. You're the teacher, Holy Spirit, and so we're trusting you now uh, to bring truth to us and to help us to apply it to our lives and live it out for the glory of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much. You may be seated. I read a story about a man who, uh, who walked into his boss's office and he was holding a, a, a Coke can. And so he walked into his boss's office. He he had bought the Coke can, the the can Coke, in the company's vending machine. There, put the money in. It dropped down and went into the little hole in the bottom of the uh, Coke machine. There, reached in and pulled it out, and and it 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 was uh, normal. Everything looked perfectly normal. It had the Coca-Cola logo on it. It was the color it was supposed to be. The tab on top was still attached. It had not been opened yet. And, And so he walked into his boss's office and handed it to his boss. And as soon as his boss took it, he immediately realized that the can was empty. The can was empty. There was no liquid refreshment inside of that can, although everything on the outside looked absolutely normal. you know an empty soft drink can is not a big deal unless you're just craving a coke you know and then then you're mad but but it's not a big deal it's not a kingdom issue it's not a issue of life and death you know but but how many people who claim to be christians are like that can they have the right label they look like all the others around them when they're seated in a worship service, in a church service, just like we are here today. And, and, and everything looks completely normal. And yet, on the inside, they're empty. It's just an empty can with a colorful label. There is no life in them. Ain't a big deal for an empty Coke can, but it's a big deal if you've got an empty life today. And, and that's what James is talking about in this passage that we're looking at today. James is dealing with the problem of inward emptiness of many people who fill churches every week, even here. The People who say they have faith, but there's no works. They have the label, but they're empty. They have the... They're surrounded by folks, and they look just like everybody else, and yet inside they're empty. And that's what James is talking about. He's talking about the problem of faith without works. He's talking about the problem of dead faith. The last word in this passage in verse 26 is the word dead. He's talking about people that say they're alive, but they're really dead. So let's let's, let's, kind of get a running, let's kind of get a running start into this passage. All right, so at the beginning of this chapter, if we went back to chapter 2, verse 1, I'm not going to do it because of time and look at those first 13 verses, but let me just kind of tell you what's going on. All right, so last week and last passage, if you backed on up a little further into chapter 1 and verse 22, you would get that, you'd find that verse that we preached on last week, Be a doer of the word and not a hearer only and, and so deceiving yourself. So he tells the people he he writes to them and he says look do what the word of god says don't just listen don't just hear it do it do what the word says and then he moves on down and he gets this next section now remember i want to remind you something you you know this but this was literally a letter that he was writing i mean so it didn't have chapters and verses those were added when they put the bible together just for us to be able to have a worship service where you go hey look at chapter 2 verse 12 This was a real letter, like, so there was no, so he's writing, man, be a doer of the word, not hear only, so deceiving yourself, da-da-da-da-da, and and then he said, and then this, you need to, don't be showing partiality to people, don't be showing favoritism, don't be discriminating up in the church, and that's what he talks about here in in chapter, he he talks about the specific sin of partiality in the church. He says there, chapter 2, verse 1, my brothers, show no partiality. As you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. He goes on to say said, look man, don't, don't do that. You can't do that. If you're going to do what the word of God says, you can't do that. I mean, you're sitting there in church, he tells his story, you're sitting there in church and somebody walks in and they got a fancy ring on and they got a lot of money, you can tell, ooh, they're a money person, you know, they got a lot, they're driving a big old fancy car and you know where they live and you know which side of town they live on and all this kind of stuff and they walk in church, it's like, oh my goodness, can't believe they're in church today and at the same time, some dude walks in and he's shabby, he's messed up, he's unkempt, he stinks, he smells bad, he looks different, don't even know where he came from, don't know who he is, don't know who his mama is, don't know who he is, his granddaddy is, or anything else, and he comes in church too. But you're going to show favor to the guy that came in because you know he's about to drop a big check in the offering plate. And James says in verse 9, says, If you show partiality, if you discriminate against that other dude just because he's different from you. Because he doesn't look like you. He doesn't smell like you. He doesn't have the same family background as you. He doesn't go to the same school as you. He doesn't have the same bank account as you you. But you're going to discriminate against him because of that. He says there, if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as a transgressor. So he comes out of that. And so he says, be a doer of the word, not a hearer only. Don't be showing favoritism. Don't be discriminating up in the church that you're a sinner if you do that. And then he comes right out of that and says this to him. Says, you need to know that your faith is dead if you're not working. This is the most controversial passage in this book. Because we, we this is what we believe. This is what we believe. Listen, we believe this. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Paul wrote in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. and says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourself. It's a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And then James comes along and says, If you ain't working, your faith is dead. And so Martin Luther, who was this great reformer years and years ago, hated this book. <laughs> I mean, we talk about Martin Luther all the time because he's one of the biggest uh dudes in church history. And he hated the book of James. He called it an epistle of straw because he thought it contradicted what Paul said. But Martin Luther got it wrong. Martin Luther did not he failed to recognize that James's teaching on works complemented, not contradicted, Paul's teachings that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Because what James is saying just emphasizes what Paul said. Paul said, you've got to be saved by grace. And James said, you exactly right, Paul. And if you are saved by grace, you better show it. Because if you ain't showing it, you didn't get saved. That's what James is saying here. And that's the application, the the application that James is making is our application for this message, and that is this, faith that is alive is faith that works. Faith that is alive is faith that works. Years ago, I think think most everybody will remember this, Uh, even if you don't remember it, you may know about it, maybe if you weren't born, uh, like some of you, but. Years ago, there was an old lady who was the spokesperson for the Wendy's. I guess I'm on fast food today. The Wendy's uh, uh, restaurant. And she, w- she would say three words. She'd ask a question using three words. Do you remember what those three words, what'd she say? Where's the beef? Where's the beef? Where's the beef? Where's the beef? And she'd walk up to the counter and, that, you know, they are talk about how wonderful uh, Wendy's hamburger. But let me tell you something. James would say, where's the, where's the works? That's not correct grammar, but where's the works? You're going to say you got faith. Where's the works? If you have a living faith, where's the faith that is alive and not dead? That's what James is asking. There's some characteristics that will be seen in a faith that is alive. First of all, a faith that is alive is a faith that is active. A faith that is alive is a faith that is active. This passage is really like the, like the trademark of this whole book. I, like I said earlier, there's some things I'm going to say in this message. That kind, of, that kind of sounds like last week. Yeah, it does, because James keeps circling back around to this. He keeps telling those folks, look, if you say you belong to Jesus, you've got to show it. If you say, if you're going to hear the word, then you've got to do it. And he just kept coming back to this, and that's what James is doing here. He's saying that you've got to do this. It's got to be active. I was talking to Mama this week. I, I sure want y'all to get to meet Mama. I hope y'all get to meet her one day. She's 83, be 84 next month. And I was talking to her this week about this passage of Scripture. I, we, she and I talk Bible stuff all the time. <laughs> And uh, so I called her to get some information or get her feedback on something I wanted to preach in this message and, and uh, see what she thought about it. So we were talking about it and stuff like that. And we had a good conversation. So we got off the phone and about 15 minutes later, <laughs> which is pretty typical of Mama, I got a text from her uh, from her flip phone, by the way. I got a, I got a text from her. And this is what the text said from my mama. James chapter two, verses 14 through 16, which is what we're looking at right now. She said this. James says that faith in Christ is is a living productive trust in christ you hear me james says that faith in christ is a living productive trust in christ and he went on to say this it is solid unmovable trust and then she said this right here she said this your daddy had that faith he did, didn't he, Rachel? I can can talk to Rachel again. He did, didn't he, Vicki? Daddy had that faith. Solid, immovable, living faith. It was active. And if you have a faith that is alive, it is a faith that is active. Because verse 14, James says, it's easy for you to say, I have faith. It's easy to say that. It's easy to make that claim. Anybody can make that claim. Everybody in here can say that. In fact, probably the majority of us would say that. I have faith. I have faith. I have faith. But James then asks an obvious question with an a question with an obvious answer. Well, what good is it to say you have it but you don't show it? And the answer is obviously, it's no good at all if it's not active. You can walk this aisle. You can sign a card. I can dunk you 400 times in the baptistry. But none of that will not matter. None of that will matter at all if there's no active demonstration of your true faith, your living faith. James talks about this. He says, somebody, you know, somebody could show up here in the dead of winter, 25 degrees outside, walk in here, hungry, don't have a place to stay, don't have any money, needing clothes, needing a place to stay, all this kind of stuff, freezing to death, don't have warm clothes, and it would be absolutely disgusting if you and I were to look at that person and go, hey, well, uh, hope you get warm. Hope you get some food. Hope you find some warm clothes. Hope you find a warm place to stay. Hope you don't freeze to death tonight. Go in peace and be warm. Disgusting if we were to do that. Knowing that we had the capability to meet that need. Knowing we had the ability to do that. Because if our faith is alive, then we would be moved to get them some warm clothes, to get them some good food, to get them a place to stay out of the cold, even if it meant emptying our bank account to do that for them. Because a faith that is alive is a faith that is active. It's also a faith that is obvious. A faith that is alive is a faith that is obvious. James gives another scenario here, verse 18. He said, but someone will say, you got faith, I have works, so show me your faith apart from your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. So he gives this, an, this next scenario. That how, how, how else are you going to show your faith unless there are obvious works in your life? Y- you can say, I have faith, until you're blue in the faith, but... If it's a faith that is alive, it will be obvious to those who are observing your life. Now, look, what I'm not saying is that you do it so that people will pat you on the back and praise you, and so that you will please people. Look, (laughs) it ain't my job to please you. You understand that? It's not the preacher's job to please you. There will be times that you will not be pleased with me. Not because I pray to God, not because I've committed some horrendous sin, but you will not be pleased with me because of the place that God's placed me in your life as your pastor and as your shepherd. You know, there were times that that shepherd would have to take his rod out and whack the sheep upside the head because the sheep was headed about to go over a cliff. Paul talked about that. He said in Galatians 1.10, he said this. He said, am I now trying to seek the approval of men or am I trying to please God? Because if I'm trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Paul said, it ain't my job to please you. It's my job to please God. It's my job to serve the Lord, and if that rubs against you, then so be it. I'm not saying I'm going to do that intentionally. I'm just saying that when your faith is obvious, sometimes you're not going to be pleasing to people. Jesus dealt with this, man. Jesus, I got to hurry. Listen, Jesus dealt with this. Matthew, uh, uh, Mark chapter, uh, Mark chapter two. Do you remember this story? You remember the paralyzed man that his friends brought him to Jesus? Y'all remember that story? They couldn't get in. They were in this. Jesus was teaching in this house. The house was packed with people. They couldn't get in there to him, and, and so they. They, uh, uh, they, took him up on, they took their friend up on top of the roof, tore the roof apart, dropped the, kid, uh, dropped the friend down in front of Jesus. How cr- I'm going to preach that, that. That's an awesome passage. One of my favorite stories. And so here's what happened. The first thing that Jesus said when he came down and <laughs> landed in front of him, the, the guy's paralyzed. He can't walk. So you would think that Jesus would say, hey, I heal you now. But he didn't. First thing he said to him, he said, son, your, your sins are forgiven. That's a lot better than having your legs healed. He said, son, your sins are forgiven. Well, all the real religious people that Jesus didn't care about pleasing were standing off to the side. Who gives him the authority to be able to do this? Well, Jesus was God with skin on, so he knew what they were thinking. So he said, you know, I right, I'll tell you what. Y'all need to see this. Y'all need to see the authority of God. So, son, get up, take up your bed, and go home. And so he got up and walked out in front of the people because even Jesus knew that people needed to see the obvious work of God. And it says there, you know what happened? Verse 12 says, And the man rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we ain't never seen anything like this. And that's what happens when you have a living faith. People see it in your life. It's obvious, and they see it. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 16, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is heaven. Not so they go, Boy, ain't you something? They go, Man, look at what God's doing. Look at what God is doing through that person right there. It's obvious. And then verse 19, he said, Hey, all right, so you say you believe in God. Good, good for you. Good for you. Even the demons believe that, and they shudder. That word "shudder" means that the hair stands up on their arms. Even the demons believe that. So, in other words, what James is saying here's another in-your-face statement that James gave: If you say you believe in God but you ain't living it out, you're on the same level as the demons. Whew. Your faith, if it's living and alive, is going to be obvious. And a faith that's alive is going to be radical. It's going to be radical. Let me hurry to finish this thing up. He gives two examples in verses 20 through 25. He gives two examples. Remember, he was writing to Jewish people. He gave two examples that they would really identify with. The first one was Abraham. Father Abraham. Remember singing that? Father Abraham and many sons. You remember that song? Well, he was the father of the Jewish people. So when he said, hey, Abraham had great faith, they go, oh, I'm listening to him now. He's talking about Abraham. Well, Abraham had great faith because God told him, hey, take your son, your only son Isaac, take him up on the mountain and sacrifice him to me. So Abraham obeyed God, took him up there. You know the rest of the story. Got up there, bound him up, took the knife, about to plunge it into his son, sacrifice his son. God said, stop Abraham. I know that you believe me now. There's a ram stuck in the bushes over there. Go get that ram and sacrifice him instead because I know that you believe me now. You talk about radical that Abraham would believe God to even be willing to sacrifice his own son if that's what God said for him to do. That's radical faith. Now the, but then James said, was thinking probably, you know, there's probably some folks going, "Yeah, but that's Abraham, man. That's like Billy Graham, man. That's like, you know, that's I could never be like that." I mean, he's got faith, of course he's Abraham. Right, well, I well so if you can't identify with Abraham, let me tell you about Rahab, the prostitute. Talk about ex- opposite extremes. Abraham, the Jewish father of the Jewish people, and Rahab, a Gentile prostitute. And yet she showed faith in God and risked her life to hide the Israelite spies and get them out of the town. Go read that story back in the Old Testament. Your faith has to be radical. Your faith has to be radical. God calls us to do radical things for him so that other people will see what he's doing, be drawn to find out what's going on, and then we can tell them about Jesus. Radical faith. Radical faith. That'll be a time when folks in this church are not pleased with their pastor. When we start doing more radical things than we're already doing. Some folks are already upset with us. Because some of the radical things that we're trying to do for the Lord and for His kingdom work in this community and beyond, and some folks don't like it, we're not, they're not pleased with us because of that. So be it. So be it. We will continue to do radical things for the Lord. We're going to keep on going. We ain't going to stop. Did y'all call me to just, just, you know, stand around and pat you on the back and say, hey, glad you're here today, glad you're here today. You know, is that, is that all I'm supposed to do? No. We're supposed to do radical things for the Lord. We've been here since 1887. We're supposed to be making a difference for the kingdom of God in some radical ways in Florida, Mississippi, and beyond. Y'all know. Y'all know that folks are talking about us, don't you? Don't be patting yourself on the back. And I'm, I'm trying to be real careful. I'm trying to decide if I need to, even need to say this. Because I don't want to get prideful. I had a person tell me this past week that I was prideful. And we got up in my face and just told me I was prideful. That's cool. Made me go back and examine my heart. God, am I really a prideful person? I can be. I can be. So I didn't like hearing it, but helped me examine my life. People all over the state of Mississippi are talking about First Baptist Church Flora, And what God's doing here. They ain't talking about John Daniels being the pastor of this church. They're talking about First Baptist Church floor and what God's doing here. And you know what? When God starts doing stuff like that, Satan gets ticked off. There's another word that I'd want to use, but it wouldn't be appropriate in this sermon right now. But he is, you say the word, it is. He is ticked. Or, as a friend of ours used to say, he is PO'd, put out. So, there you go. See there? See there? He is. Here's what David Platt, in his book Radical, gosh, I got to finish this thing up. David Platt wrote a book entitled Radical, and he said this. When we get to the end of our lives, we will not wish that we had made more money, acquired more stuff, lived more comfortably, taken more vacations, watched more television, pursued greater retirement, or been more successful in the eyes of this world. Instead, we will wish that we had given more of ourselves to living for the day when every nation, tribe, people, and language will bow around the throne and sing the praises of the Savior who delights in radical obedience and the God who deserves eternal worship the question that wears me out is when i have to ask myself is my faith radical because i don't like the answer i have to give myself most of the time no it ain't And a faith that is alive is a faith that is radical. And finally, a faith that is alive is a faith that is living. That sounds redundant, but verse 26 says it again. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so faith apart from works is dead. That may sound redundant, but listen, it needs to be re-emphasized Because right now in this place, each of you is alive today. I think you are. You are breathing. You have a heartbeat. Your brain activity is going on. You're able to move around. Maybe have some difficulty because of that, but able to accomplish many of the tasks that are before you. But there will come a day when you won't be breathing, your heart won't be beating, your brain activity will have ceased, your body will be a corpse because your spirit will have departed from you either to heaven or to hell. And the element that makes it a corpse is the absence of a living spirit within you. And that's what James says there in verse 26. In the same way that faith that is not accompanied by active, obvious, radical works is dead faith. So how do you make faith come alive? Do you go out and start doing a bunch of good works, hoping that life will come? No, that would be like digging up a corpse and giving it a job at the grocery store in hopes it would bring it back to life. There is only one who can raise the dead. There is only one who can give spiritual life. There is only one who can make your faith alive. So you go to Him, His name is Jesus, and He will give you life. So you get to the end of this sermon, and I am. Got to get an amen. All right, so we get to the end of this sermon. And you go back to last week's sermon. (laughs) Oh, you get to the end of this sermon, but you're going to go back and preach that one now. No, you get to the last week's sermon. I will do what the Word of God says I I must do. So I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, even though I could. As your pastor, I have the right to ask you to raise your hand, but I'm not asking you to do that. How many of you did that this week? Don't raise your hand. How many of you listened to the word last week and then you did it? Don't be a hearer of the word, but be a, be a doer of the word, not a hearer only. You heard the word last week. How many of you have done it this week? How many of you live for the Lord this week? You could raise your hand. Am not going to ask you to raise your hand? But I could. As your pastor, I could, I could ask you to raise your hand. You could ask me. You have the authority to ask me that. Same question and hold me accountable. John, are you living for the Lord right now? Not just because I'm your pastor, even though that's a big reason, but because I'm your brother in Christ. You haven't resp- You could ask me, are you living for the Lord right now? But then when you look, have you given your life to Jesus Christ? Placed your faith and trust in him alone. And if you have, is that faith alive? Is it active? Is your faith obvious? Is your faith radical? Is your faith living? That's it. So this week will your faith be active obvious radical and living right now is it active obvious radical and living and if it's not then come on do what you know the lord wants you to do. take a step of obedience today put your faith into action and live it out today father will you help us to do that for your glory In the name of Jesus, Lord, as we come to this invitation time. Lord, I know I went past time, but God, just help us now during this invitation, Lord, to do what it is you called us to do, to be obedient to you and to respond to you and say yes to you. In Jesus' name, amen.